The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. He was known as James the Just, or he was also known as James the Righteous. He was the eldest brother of Jesus. James the Just or James the Righteous was known as such because of his immense piety and his total devotion to Jesus. He lived a life of complete obedience to the Old Testament Jewish law. But he also walked in total obedience and devotion to Jesus the Christ. He saw no conflict between the two positions. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. We are beginning today a new series of messages, live, coming to you from my studio, where we're going to look at Pastor James. What would Pastor James say to the culture of today? We live in a time of great upheaval. We live in a time of immense wickedness. We live in a time when Christians are confused about right and wrong, about culture. They're confused about what it means to pray and and how to get an answer from God. And this is a time when we need to carefully look at what it means to be pious at what it means to be utterly, totally, completely sold out to Jesus Christ. What does that kind of person look like? I know many of you are, well, let me put it this way. I was sitting in a restaurant for dinner, and a couple was sitting next to me, and they began to speak with me. And so I did what I always do. I said to them in a very pleasant manner, Are you Christians? They looked at each other, and the husband looked back at me, and he said, Yes, we're Christians. I said, Are you cultural Christians? He said, I don't know what that means. I said, It means that you were born in a Christian family, but you've never become serious about Jesus. So you probably show up at church on Easter. We call them Easter lilies and at Christmas, and we call them poinsettias. Are you Easter lilies and poinsettias? And they looked at each other with kind of a a chagrined look and then back at me and said, yes, I think that's a pretty good description of who we are. So I said, in fact, you are not Christians. You're cultural Christians. Now I said, 
many cultural Christians are in church every Sunday because that's their hobby. That's where the entertainment is. That's where the inspiration comes. So they'd rather go to church and not to the Kennedy Center because going to the church is a lot cheaper and the pastor tells great jokes and there's lots of entertainment. You can hook up with another couple and go to dinner after church. Your kids go to Sunday school and they get some moral values. I said, those are just cultural Christians too. What I want to say to you today is that James the righteous, as he was called, or James the just, was not a cultural Christian. He was utterly sold out. Now, James was the pastor of the New Testament church. Of course, the apostles led Peter and the others. But as they moved out in their missionary work, and then after 15 years when the fist of Rome came down on the Christian church in Jerusalem, Christians were spread far and wide. You remember some went to Antioch, and there for the first time they were called Christians. It was a term of scorn, of derision. It meant Christ followers. Oh, are you a Christian? You are a follower of Christ. James stayed in Jerusalem. Now, before we look at his material, let me also say to you that this is the only book James wrote that we have available to us or know of. We also know that as Pastor James, he wrote it according to chapter 1, verse 1, to the tribes who were scattered. Because they had been scattered into small home churches all around Jerusalem, as far away as Antioch. And so he wrote this letter to his congregation and also to those who were scattered. His heart cry was for his Jewish brothers and sisters. It was not a book written to the Gentiles. Paul was the one who wrote to the Gentiles, and slowly over time, Paul became the real leader of the Christian church. But for the Jewish people, it was always James the Righteous. James the Just. Now, he was martyred. He was murdered sometime around A.D. 62. The letter was probably written sometime around A.D. 40. He was martyred by the Jewish people. There is one story that we don't know which is true, that the Pharisees finally rose up against him. I don't know if that is true or not because he was such a meticulous keeper of the law. There is another historical account in Josephus, the great historian of that day, the Jewish historian, that tells us that 
he was condemned by the leaders of the Sanhedrin, and they stoned him to death. Whatever it was that took place in time and space and history, we know that he finally paid for his devotion to his brother, Jesus Christ, with his life. I'm sure being the head of the Jerusalem church, he was often threatened and persecution was heavy. We also note, however, that through each of these persecutions, he was able to survive until that fateful day in A.D. 62, when they finally captured him and stoned him to death. Now, in the story of the Pharisees, they also stoned him to death and finally crushed his head with a hammer. It was the price that was expected. All of the apostles, except that of the apostle John, died a martyr's death. Christianity was sown in blood. Now, unlike Islam, it was not sown in the blood of others. It was sown, the Christian faith was sown in the blood of believers in Jesus Christ whose hearts were filled with love and compassion and mercy for the lost, who were filled with hospitality, who had hearts rejoicing in love that they could serve and die for Jesus Christ. There is no similarity between the God of Islam and the God of the Christians. We do not serve the same God, as is utterly evidenced by the fruit borne by both. The fruit of Islam is murder, slavery, rape, pillaging. The fruit of Jesus Christ is compassion and love, and mercy, and freedom to have a personal, real relationship with the God of heaven and earth. Our prayers to him are not formal. They flow from the heart. They don't flow five times a day. They flow continually. I pray without ceasing. Even as I'm doing this broadcast, my heart is being lifted up in prayer before the throne room of God. I'm speaking the word that he's giving to me, but my heart is constantly reaching in the throne room of God for his love and his kindness and his mercy, standing by faith that he will do what he has promised me he will do. And I believe him. I believe his word. I believe his promises. So let's look together at this incredible 
letter to the Jewish people. What do you think would be the first thing that Pastor James would want to talk about with his Jewish brothers and sisters? Now, let's be clear. The book opens with calling James a due loss of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a due loss in the Greek is the description of a particular kind of slave or servant. There were several words used in the Greek for servants or slaves, and there were several different dispositions that were possible. A servant of that day could have, in certain instances, the right of owning property. They could have the privilege of not having their wife or their children separated from them and sold to another person. In other words, some could not be separated from their husband or their wife or their children. But this particular kind, the Greek word is doulos. James calls himself a doulos of God and of not the brother Jesus Christ, but Lord Jesus Christ, calling him God. He didn't always feel that way. Through Jesus' ministry, he was very much opposed to Jesus, insulting him even at times. Probably James was the eldest brother, a half-brother to Jesus. He did not appreciate his little brother. He thought he was a fool. But as time passed and the crucifixion came, James' heart was pierced by the truth of who this magnificent man called Jesus Christ was. And so he does not refer to himself as James, the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, anywhere in the letter. He simply refers to himself as a, as a slave with no right of property ownership. Jesus owned it all. No right to have a family. Jesus owned his family. He utterly gave up ownership of his time, of his money, of his life. And he said, I am a doulos. <laughs> Touches my heart. He was not a slave to his work. He was not a slave to his ambition. He was not a slave to living a comfortable life. He was not a slave to buying a house. He was not a slave to the new car. He was a slave, a do-loss slave, only to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the Father, to the Lord God of heaven. I would ask you, examine your hearts today at the very beginning of this study. 
and ask yourself that very honest, searching question. Are you a servant to anyone or anything? Does anyone or anything hold dominion over your life instead of Jesus Christ? Are you a slave to your alcohol? Are you a slave to your entertainment? Are you a slave to your work? Are you sold out as a slave to anyone or anything in this world except to Jesus Christ? to James the righteous, or James the just. All that mattered was serving and pleasing Jesus, Jesus the Christ. My devotion is not to the church. My devotion is not to a set of theological beliefs. My devotion is not to the rituals of the church. My devotion is not to money or prestige or power or recognition. I am a due lost slave of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Can you say that today? Are you a slave to sin today? Are you divided between Jesus the Christ and your sin? That means you are divided between Jesus and the devil. Are you clean today before God? Is there any known sin in your heart or in your life? If so, you are a servant of Jesus only artificially. Because you cannot be a servant to sin and a servant to Jesus Christ at the same time. Are you a slave to sin? To your passions? To your lust? To your anger? To your bitterness? Are you a slave to this world, and to the culture of this world? Are you a slave of of darkness? Or have you been set free by the blood of Jesus? That's what the book of James will outline for you. And then he's going to deal with the very practical aspects of walking out what it means to be a Christian. Almighty God, as we begin today to look at what Pastor James wants to say to us about this walk with you, I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds and that you will quicken us by your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that any slavery will be broken as we study together, as your word goes forth. Oh, God. Jesus, 
Would you send your Holy Spirit now? Would you pierce the heart of every darkness? And would you set the captives free? I pray in your holy name. Amen. Now I recognize as I come to do this broadcast that some of you are just thinking about whether or not you're going to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And I recognize that there are others of you who have matured through the listening of this word. And you are sold out to Jesus. I praise God for both of you. I'm also very aware that there are many of you listening who have not yet turned your back on the lust of your heart. Some of you are fornicators. Some of you are committing adultery. I don't condemn you. Some of you are caught up in violent video games. Some of you are caught up in violent sports. Some of you are caught in pride, arrogance, hardness. I don't condemn any of you. I love you. And I'm grateful that you've chosen to listen. And I pray that the mercy of God will be shown to you as you listen and that your heart will be released from every captivity except that of Jesus Christ. The only reason I sacrifice my time and my energy is that you might know Jesus. It's not about denominationalism. It's not about being somebody. It's not. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus crucified. It's about Jesus resurrected in awesome power. It's about Jesus now serving in the Holy of Holies in the heavenly sanctuary, the, the headquarters, the, the place of assignment of angels sent to minister to you. It's about Jesus who is going to return again in great glory and power. It's about Jesus who will rule over the nations in righteousness and innocence. The book begins, My Brethren, And of course, that word in the Greek also can mean my sisters. It is not exclusively identifying men. It is also used to identify women. And so it should more appropriately be my brethren and my sisters. Consider it all joy when you may encounter various temptations. Now, this word encounter in the Greek is two separate words, and it literally means when something falls all about you. In other words, 
James, at the very beginning, what he wants to say to you is that you are going to have falling all around you a carefully designed system of deception. Satan knows exactly what your weak points are. He knows exactly where you go on the internet. He knows exactly where you go in your thought process when you're feeling like you're being treated unfairly. This morning I had a conversation with someone and they were telling me how they were hurt. And I said to them, you must go to Jesus and take your hurt with you and he will give to you the gift of forgiveness. And they said, I haven't learned how to do that yet. I said, no, that's not true. It's not complicated. You simply get on your knees before Jesus and say, Jesus, this is what has happened. This is what I'm feeling, and I choose now to give it to you. I forgive them. Would you come now, and would you heal my heart? That's not complicated. I said, the truth is, you want to hang on to it and chew on it. You don't want to let go of it because you like the taste of this mess. Because you think you can say something to justify yourself or to win in the argument. You can't. So why don't you go ahead and just die and give it all to Jesus. And with brightness, this person said, yes, I will do that. My brethren, my sisters, consider it all joy. When Satan spreads all about you the various temptations that he knows will most entice you, consider that joy. Why do you consider that joy? Because you know that the testing of your faith works patience in your soul. In other words, what you most want in your life is the gift of patience. Where does patience come from? Patience comes from encountering all of the things that Satan would design to destroy us. And it's choosing to take each of those to Jesus and say, I will not accept this. I am rejoicing in your love and your mercy and your grace, Jesus. I'm not going to fall to the temptation. I am being tested in my faith. And I know that that's going to bring forth patience in my life. Now, patience comes as we wait on God. If you were to ask me, I would, I would tell you that the most painful part of my journey with Jesus has been developing 
patience. I am by nature through Adam, a very impatient person. I expect things to move forward quickly. I has I have been born with great ambition in my heart. And as I have come to Jesus Christ, he has removed from my heart the ambition. He has removed from my heart that desire that everything must go the way I want it to go now. He has taken from me the expectations that have troubled my heart most of my life. Instead, as things are not working the way I want them to work, I count it as joy because I see what Satan wants to do. He wants to cause me to believe that I am in charge of my life and that if it doesn't flow the way I want it to flow, I have a right to be angry. I have a right to battle. I have a right to cut down others. I have a right to feel like a victim. And I rejoice because those temptations have been cast out of my heart. I no longer walk that way. I trust Jesus. Now, let me read verse 4 for you. It will absolutely astonish you if you're at all like I am. Now, patience must have a perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing at all. Well, I thought the way I didn't lack anything was to go out and grab everything I wanted, to go get what I needed, to pursue things and people to accomplish my goals. But remember, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Of course, the word kingdom in the, in the Greek means not a geographic kingdom, but royal authority. So Jesus was saying, seek to have my royal authority exercised over your life. That's why in the Lord's Prayer, it's our Father who art in heaven. Holy, pure is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So at the very beginning for the Christian is to stop going after what he or she wants and begin to ask for what Jesus wants in this circumstance, in this situation. Jesus, what do you want? I want what you want. And what brings to pass what he wants is his royal authority that is exercised over this situation that I do not reject, I do not rebel against, but say, Jesus, have your way. I want your way, Jesus. And Pastor James is saying that this work of patience will bring about in your life perfection. 
It'll bring about in your life perfection. You will be caused to walk in fellowship with Jesus Christ because you will be totally dependent upon the moving power of God in your life. And then, of course, Jesus said in all of these other things, the pagans need them. God knows you need them. He'll give them to you. In other words, God is the one who will give me the new car. God is the one who will give me a wife. God is the one who will give me whatever it is my heart needs. As I look to him and ask that his will be accomplished over my life, he moves into action over my life as I wait upon him. Not easy to wait, is it? That is, without a doubt, the most painful part of this walking out of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to turn in the scriptures quickly. If I can find it, there's a passage of Scripture that has meant so much to me through the years. It has turned my heart toward heaven in so many ways. Listen to this. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light. And my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh. When my enemies and my foes attack me. They will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me at his tabernacle. Will I sacrifice with shouts of joy? I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper, 
Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your ways, O Lord, and lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes for false witnesses. Rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart. Wait for the Lord. In this passage, it says, Seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. It does not say, Seek his hand. If you have his face, his hands will be holding your face. This is such a picture of of intimacy, of love. And this only flows out of waiting on the Lord. The only way you can be made perfect before God is by enduring the suffering of waiting upon God. It is the giving up of my own agenda. It is the giving up of my own desires. It is the giving up of my sin. And it is as I wait for him that this work of perfection in my soul is completed so that I lack in nothing at all. I ask you today, are you lacking anything at all today? Have you been struggling, fighting, agonizing, trying to survive? Then my brother, my sister, would you please seek the face of Jesus? Would you come before him in the prayer closet and lay your life down? And would you humbly repent before him for the angry words you've spoken to others? the hostile, angry feelings you've had about your husband or your wife or your children or your boss or your brother, your sister, your friends, your enemies? Will you seek the face of Jesus Christ? I tell you today, Jesus is the sweetest of them all. And this precious man, James the Just, begins his book by addressing the Jewish people 
and saying, stop your impatience. Wait on God. It is only in waiting on God that you can be made perfect. You cannot be made perfect by trying harder. You cannot be made perfect by trying to keep the law. You can't be made perfect by going to strategy seminars on how you can earn more money. No. The answer is to seek the face of Jesus. Imagine yourself holding the face of Jesus in your hands, cupping his face. Can you imagine such a thing? If you can't imagine him placing his nail-scarred hands on your face, our face is the most intimate part of our body. Nobody touches our faces. But God wants to touch your face. He loves you. He died for you. And James wants to begin this whole book by saying Satan has designed various temptations to try to destroy the peace of your heart, to try to get you to get all worked up, to try to make you angry, to try to make you feel frantic. I spoke with someone today by telephone, and they said to me, I have no peace of God in my heart, Pastor. How do I find the peace of God? I said, by, by getting on your face before God and confessing everything that is stealing your peace, and just seek his face. Say, Jesus, you are enough for me. You are all my heart desires. I will no longer seek after all of these other things and these people and, and this recognition and this. I lay it all down, Jesus. I want you. Patience must have a perfect work so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing at all. Are you lacking righteousness today? Are you lacking innocence? Have you, have you been a fornicator? Have you been lusting in your heart? Have you... Have you lied and cheated and stolen? Have you been self-righteous, bitter and angry, criticizing, having expectations of others, and they don't fulfill those expectations, and then you rise up against them? Stop. Stop. Stop expecting from your children and your family and your husband and your wife. Stop the expectations and seek the face of Jesus Christ.
Read the word. Pray. I urge all of you to read ahead and read the entire book of James and then read the entire book of 1 John. Read the book of Jude. Read First and Second Peter. Read Revelation. You see, sin will keep you from this word. But this word will keep you from sin. I want Jesus to keep you from sin, all sin. I want you to walk perfect before God. Now, the lying preachers of our day say, I can't walk perfect before God. They're lying. You must walk perfect before God if you are ever going to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to open the phone lines today. If you would like me to pray for you to have patience. I'd be happy to pray with you. Patience is not something we work up. It is a gift of God as we seek his face, as we wait upon him. Through the suffering, we wait upon him. And in that suffering, we are perfected. Our phone number here in studio is 877-534-0780. You're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd love to have you come and visit us. I do want to share with you the miracle that today I have sent the check to WAVA for the entire last month's radio bill. We spent two days in offertory. And when we finished, we still lacked $580. And I just want to report, as I prayed, the Lord responded graciously through many of you, and I want to thank you today. I want to thank you from day one, as you contributed last month, all through the month, and finally the great push to finish up the month with victory. Thank you, my brothers and my sisters. I cannot tell you how grateful I am to Jesus that he would move in your heart, that he would convict you, and that you step forward and said, I will help. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I wish I could name you all, but... I don't think that's appropriate, so I'll simply leave your name with Jesus and know that I have lifted you personally before the throne of God and given great praise and thanks to Jesus for your generous gift. Thank you. It even took the one person who sent $5. No, two people sent $5. Thank you. So now we're in a new month, and I encourage you to begin giving so that at the end of the month we don't have to take any days for offertory. You're welcome to mail your tithe or your offering to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Our phones are wide open. 
I'm waiting on your call. I know if I begin teaching again, you won't call. I'm here to pray with you, for you. 877-534-0780. Mr. Producer, are there any phone calls coming in? We have five and a half minutes. We have time for one very quick call then, right? 877-534-0780. Let's come back to the word. Verse 4, now patience must have a perfect work. So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing at all. But if any one of you lacks wisdom, he must ask from God, the one giving to all men generously and without insult, and it will be given to him. So as we seek the face of God, we confess before him, as I have many times, Lord, I'm not a smart man. I cannot figure out how to do this. I cannot bring revival. I can't, I can't convict the listeners. I can't move them. You must move them. Would you grant me the wisdom to know how to stand and how to pray? And it says God will give you that wisdom without insulting you. He will never put you down. He will never call you dummy. Jesus comes to our rescue, but he always comes in a way that saves our dignity. Now, let me say this. Please understand, God respects you much more than you respect yourself. God has granted to you great dignity a position in his kingdom above. And if you have not yet received that position of becoming a royal stone built into the tabernacle of God, it is there waiting for you. It is a place of immense dignity and honor. And it is given to us by Jesus. You do not need to fear that Jesus will insult you by coming and telling him everything about the struggle of your heart. He can handle it all. If you'll come and simply confess where you're at, if you will tell him everything that's happening in your heart, he will grant to you patience. He will grant to you wisdom, and in the process, he will preserve your dignity, and he will not insult you. All you need to do is ask him. That's why you seek his face, so that you're on personal terms with Jesus. He's not a stranger to you. 
I have grave concern for many of you because you have not heard from God. You are strangers to God. You are far distant from him. I'm inviting you to come close to Jesus. I'm inviting you to leave being a wanderer in a foreign land. I'm inviting you to come into the presence of Jesus and there to experience his love and his power and his glory. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. He will not shame you. He will not cast you aside. If you willingly go to him as he draws you by his spirit, he will touch your heart with healing. Well, tomorrow we're going to continue our study in the book of James. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. Jesus loves you. I'll talk to you soon. Falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.